Hello, friends. You are listening to the Sunday Afternoon Podcast with Greg Reese. I am your host, Greg Reese. It is October now. The first Sunday of October of the year, October 2nd, 2022. I uh, am feeling a little scattered today as I was sort of preparing for the show. Uh, So I'm just going to let it rip. Hope you guys are all doing well. Um, Particularly those who have... We're in the storm zone of Ian and the other related storms that hit the East Coast. And of course, Southwest Florida... Uh, I hope you and your loved ones are all doing well and getting the help, and if not, getting all the the help and the care that you need right now. Yeah, like I said, I'm a little scattered. Uh, I think I'm just tired, and maybe it's all catching up to me, but I'm very fortunate. So, I mean, I really have nothing to complain about at all. So I'll just get into it, I guess. and tell you my experience throughout Ian. So this is my first hurricane. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's my first hurricane. Um, There might have been one when I was in the Marine Corps. There were several monsoons I've, I've experienced, and I've experienced a volcanic eruption and... I think that's it. But this was, um, I wasn't expecting it to be much. I don't really follow the weather. I never really have. Um, And when people tell me about weather things, I usually don't, I I usually disregard it because it's like the weather people, usually they they can get things like within a few days or a week or whatever. And, um, And I guess the real answer to that is that it's because I've never really been through a bad hurricane before because, uh, because now, from experience, um, next time people start telling me, hey, there's a really bad hurricane coming your way, I'll probably look into it more. Uh, either way, uh, a friend of mine in Texas was asking for updates, so I was sending uh, updates. And there was kind of a joke, because it was just beautiful, beautiful weather in, in southern, you know, southwest Florida. And um, I live about... Let's let's give you an exact distance. I know it as um, I know it as a ten-minute drive to um, to the beach. But let's just take a peek here and. Uh, Dead air, dead air, right? All right. So, yeah, I mean, as a crow flies, I'm less than two miles from the beach. As a crow flies, I'm probably about 1.6 miles. That surprises me. Looking at the map now. So, and we got flooded here, but um, 
It wasn't like the coast. Like I have a friend who has, lives up in uh, Fort Myers, which is that's the area that really Fort Myers, Sanibel Island, Cape Coral. And he has family who had a house on 12 foot stilts, 12 feet above the surface of the water, the water surface, and they got flooded, 12 feet. And I believe that's called storm surge. I'm sure there's other names. I'm sure there's all kinds of things going on. The, the, the hurricane just sort of hovered, uh, uh, took its time all along the coast and just really seemed to like almost hold and hover above a Sanibel Fort Myers beach area. But where I am, about a mile and a half inland, the flooding came, I'll tell you, and I almost, I mean, I feel bad. Or, you know, I don't know if I feel bad, but I feel guilty how lucky I was. So I'll just get it out of the way. And all thanks goes to God. And honestly, I've been in just um, overflowing with gratitude ever since because of this. It's, you know, I just feel blessed in every single way. So once I realized that there was actually a, a serious storm coming in, my concern was my box is getting wet because I'm all packed up to move pretty much. I'm like definitely 75% packed, it, more like 80% probably all in boxes. So I was like, well, shoot, I want to make sure these boxes stay dry. So I was looking into like getting pallets or something. I never did that, never got anything. Um, never did anything until I saw the water uh, slowly rising. <laughs> and at a certain point, I was like, okay, that's coming in. There's, that's definitely coming in. So then I started getting busy, started putting boxes up everywhere, everywhere I could, you know, every obviously space I could find. And uh, so right here, I got lucky. I got lucky for being able to, to have time to do it. And I got lucky because I don't think I had any more space. Like once I was done getting all the boxes up off the floor, I don't think there was any room anywhere. So, I mean, every little possible surface area was now being used. So I was like, all right, awesome. That, that job's done. So then at that point, uh, the water was already through about 70% of my apartment. And I, I lay on the floor of my bedroom. The, my bedroom in the apartment is the only room with carpeting. So I'm laying on the clean, dry carpet and watching the water slowly come in. And uh, by the time it gets, I'm like right at the edge of the carpet and I start feeling it on my uh, forearms, I start feeling the carpeting getting wet. <clears throat> and now I'm like, all right, I don't have the stomach for this anymore. I'm just going to lay in bed for a while. So I get in bed, put my head down, probably for 20, 30 minutes, an hour tops, and uh, get up. And I'm expecting to put my foot down in a puddle of water. And instead, I put my foot down on dry carpet. Turns out, 
pretty much as soon as I laid in bed, the water stopped coming in. The water basically stopped around, in my experience, in my apartment, it, the water molested the entire apartment. <laughs> and this is dirty water. This is not water you want. This is nasty death water. Uh, this water um, got everything but underneath my bed and a trail from my bed to my bathroom and about majority of the bathroom and the closet. These are, there are, there are, they've been untouched by the death water. And being that I'm moving in two weeks, that's all I need. I mean, the rest of the carpet I just avoid unless I have shoes on. So that's crazy, right? <laughs> I mean, every step of the way. So I open my eyes expecting, and I've been there before as a plumber, I've been in several houses that flooded. So I know I've been in some bad, bad situations. I mean, I don't own this place, so it's not that bad, but and everything's off the ground, you know, but you don't want, you don't want to live in a place like that. So anyways, I get up, not only did the water stop just short around the bed, leaving me a dry trail, to the bathroom, but uh, it already had receded. Like there was a bunch of ugly gunk left, but what wa the water that did come in already left. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Because that's a, I mean that's a big deal. Like it like I, once again let me describe the water because I mopped it up then then. Then, as soon as I got out of bed, I was like, all right, I, I was already ready to mop it all up, which was great. And the water that I got in my, pardon my phone, the water that I got in the bucket out of the mop was just pitch black, stinky, like sewage water. And pro worse, because, I mean, this water, uh, the, the, death and the, the death and destruction that this water sort of went through and traveled with and was a part of. <laughs> so you don't want to live with that. And I'm still got some of it in the carpeting there in the bedroom, but um, like I said, it's a, I just avoid that half of the bedroom and I'm out of here in less than two weeks. I'm out of here in like 10 days. All my boxes are dry. And I'll keep going. While the hurricane was happening, uh, once I lost power and I couldn't work anymore, I just started, I just finished packing. I basically finished packing. I just went to work, you know, getting everything off the walls. And I mean, I'm, I'd say 97% packed at this point. So I get stuff done. And then um, I also had to check on my, vehicle I was a kind of a dummy I, I, I moved it early on in the storm because I, I pictured branches falling and breaking the windshield or something so I moved it into a parking lot I never park it in and I wasn't thinking of here's one of the things I learned in all this your elevation I wasn't thinking of that because this was before the flooding I ended up parking it in a parking lot that had a lower elevation than the other parking lot. If I would have left it where it was, I could have just left it the whole time. But once the flooding came, everyone had to move their cars up onto the sidewalks, basically. It's a, you know, there's a curb, and then there's like a grass, lawn, sidewalk area, right? 
and um, I went out and uh, still had time. And 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 here's another crazy thing. So I traded that in. I traded. I had a Dodge Charger I bought in 2020. First new car I've ever owned. First car payment I've ever had. I've spent most of my life buying like a three thousand dollar car. I think the most I ever paid on a car was nine grand. But I got a Dodge Charger uh, Scat Pack with a 392 Hemi. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, the only reason I got rid of it was because when I moved here to Florida, I got two speeding tickets within like my first month. And I realized I don't think I'm going to stop getting them because when I would think, of, when, I, when my mind would say, well, just don't, don't speed in this car. I realize that's not going to happen because like it it seems insane to me to own a car like that and not speed. So, I traded it in. And uh through the process of trading it in, I realized I want an Armageddon truck. I want something that I want something for a collapse of society, all right? So I picked a forerunner, right? The, the Hilux, you can't kill a Hilux. The American Hilux engine and drivetrain is the Toyota 4Runner. So I got the, uh, I got a, and I got one that's jacked up on like four by four wheels. I think it's called the TRD Pro Package or something like that. Uh, 2016, love it. And ever since I got it, um, Every time I pull into my apartment complex, I want to drive up over the curb and onto the grassy sidewalk area because I can, because it's a four-wheel drive. And then in the Charger, you couldn't. The Charger had a very low um, profile, you know, aerodynamic skirt and all that. Uh, you would have tore, tore that right off trying to pull up on, onto the curb. I don't, even, I don't even think you could pull up. I mean, you'd have to pull it off your, before try pulling you know? off. The bumper. You have to take the whole bumper off if you want to do that. So you wouldn't be able to. And so for whatever reason, well, I know why, because I've never had a big 4x4 truck before. It's a new thing for me, and I want to find an excuse to take it off-road somehow. <laughs> so anyways, uh, the flood comes in, and, and because I had this truck, I mean, it was dry. Water was up. I think at the, the height of the flooding, the water was probably an inch below my floor in that truck. Um... But I still pulled it up onto the sidewalk like everyone else, and it was a joy. And by the time I pulled it up in the sidewalk, the water was about knee-deep almost. It was about six and four. Here, I'll give you, I got measuring tape. Where'd that damn measuring tape go? Unbelievable. It's been around the whole time. Well, I'll tell you, it's, it was like a dang near uh, 18, 20 inches. Something like that. A cubit. <laughs> and uh, the only, my truck was dry. The only water that got in there was when I opened the door to get in. I sort of pulled something in with me. But I was finally able to pull it up on the thing, and it was so easy. Put in four-wheel drive, it just drove through that water like it was nothing. Didn't even feel like he was driving through water. Drove up on the curb like it was nothing. I, re I really need to do more of that. Um, so the truck stayed dry, and if I had the charger still, uh, 
Uh, I mean, it would have been total. It would have been total. Totaled might be too strong of a word, but it would have been trashed. It would have been trashed because I wouldn't have been able to pull it out of there. You know, I heard someone call into the Alex Jones show and they said that they were in Naples and they drove their car up into a parking garage on the coast and rode it out there. That must have been thrilling. And it does make sense. And I think it would take quite a lot to collapse a parking garage, like a concrete parking garage. So I, would, I, think, that's, I think that was a smart bet. Interesting. I don't think it ends there. Um, as a lot of you, as a lot of the regular listeners know, I've been planning on moving, and basically it came down to a 50-50 shot of the Fort Myers area and the Panhandle, and the Panhandle one. But I was, uh, it was a 50-50 shot from me, you know, signing a lease, and I probably would have done it right uh, where I would have done it, it would have been in the area that's shut down, shut down right now, guaranteed. I would have been close to the shore, and I wouldn't be able to, I mean, it's not the worst thing, but uh, I didn't. I chose the panhandle. And it looks like everything should be fine as far as moving there. I lost food in my fridge. That's it. And um, and I lost uh, I lost food in my fridge. And I lost uh, you know I blew some money that night because on Wednesday was it Wednesday? No, it was Thursday. Thursday night. I had no power, and so I, and I had nothing else to do. I kind of was all sorted, so I went to Fort Lauderdale. And um, as soon as I thought of doing that, I basically hauled ass. I basically just threw a bag together, jumped in the car, and went because it was a no-brainer. I was like, when is the next time when disaster hits you and all you got to do is pack a bag fill the tank up with gas and drive an hour and 45 minutes east and boom, now you're in a hotel, hot shower, restaurants, like nothing happened. <clears throat> because I do, I looked at this whole experience as practice uh, from the onset. Because as a lot of, once again, a lot of you regular listeners know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting this uh, worldwide. It's already happening worldwide, in fact. Um, some of you already know that. Some of you have already really been feeling that, uh, but a lot of us haven't. And, um, and I am, I mean, I've been preparing for this collapse 15 years at least. I'd say since 2005. What is that? Ooh. 17 years. 
you know, emotionally, mentally, physically preparing. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, darting out for the night over to Fort Lauderdale was just another blessing. Because I was like, when the real one happens for me, uh, there ain't going to be no, you know, escape the uh, reality to, to a cozy little beach, vibrant, thriving beach town. <laughs> and then um, by the time I got there and settled in, I, I heard that uh, and checked the situation in Naples, I found that the power was on in my apartment building. So I think it's 6.30 p.m. on Thursday night. The power was already restored. Internet was restored the early the next morning. So by the time I got home, early Friday morning, I had power and internet and AC up, which saved my boxes because it's very humid here without the AC. And if the power in the AC would have stayed off, all my stuff that I kept dry would have eventually gotten quite wet from the humidity. So yet again, another great blessing coming home to that. And then I've just been cleaning. I think everything's clean now. I got the, I got the, the death water cleaned up except for about 70%, 60% of the carpeting, which I ain't going to touch. But like I said, I'm out of here in 10 days, so. Yeah, so um, I actually did some volunteer work this morning um, to to feel better about myself, right? I mean, because it's like I, uh, you know, you're busy thanking God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. Praise God, you know. Um. Sincerely, I mean, I think if you listen to the story, I just spewed out, you get it, right? I mean, there's, there's so many little details in there that are very worthy of, of passionate gratitude. <laughs> and, uh, and passionate gratitude, is, as I hope, I hope all of you know this, but uh, passionate gratitude brings on like giddy levels of joy. That's a side effect or a result of it. And so, um, and I'm driving around town, seeing what I can see, seeing what's going on. And so I had to do some volunteer work because it's like when you're that blessed and you're, you know, and if you feel strange almost, because there are a lot of people, I mean, I think there's already over a hundred people dead. I think the last I heard over a hundred people died. Um, they're still, that main area up there is still shut down until they can finish rescuing people. So what do you do with that? Well, the best thing to do is to be a part of the community. Uh, so thanks to um, here, and if there's, there's probably people living in the area that are thinking the same thing, so I'll tell you what I got. I got this from, hold on a sec. Informationist, I think this was um, mm, 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 mm. here we go. 
volunteerflorida.org. And I believe I heard that this was set up by Casey DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis's wife. I believe that's I was told that if she didn't set it up, then she maybe had it restructured for volunteer help for the recovery. Either way, I found it to be exactly what I was looking for. Once again, that is volunteerflorida.org. And um, I suspect it's been around before the hurricane because there's all kinds of opportunities up, to, up on there for uh, volunteering. Uh, I went through and I found one that was specific to cleaning up. I specifically found one in Bonita Springs cleaning up a animal sanctuary. So I went there this morning to clean up a couple of big trees that fell. And once again, another blessing of a situation, a couple of big trees. I wish I knew what kind of wood it was. It was a very dense, heavy wood. I wish I knew what it was because I'm sure someone local wants the big log. There's quite a nice full-size log once we got it all chopped down and cleaned up. But it fell and it just missed uh, the office. There's like a main office at the entrance of this Bonita Springs like animal sanctuary. And I just missed it. I'll tell you a little bit about my volunteer experience. Um, I recommend it. You know, I've done, I've done plenty of volunteering in the past, like when I was on my spiritual path, when I talk about the ashram and the monastery and all that stuff. Most of that stuff's all volunteer kind of stuff. Living in community, sharing rooms with other volunteers and stuff like that. It's a great experience. I wrote heavily about it in my book. Um, I think some of the more entertaining chapters, the, the, especially the Tibetan monastery, very uh, rich three months I had there. But um, when I, I'm, I'm hoping to get some more in before I move. And when I do move, I think I want to find a regular volunteering thing too. Because you know what's great about it is it's great to, like I have a hard time um, connecting with the community sometimes because I move around so often. I move practically every year. And I, I'm very much of a hermit. I keep to myself, uh, especially lately with all the crazy politics and stuff like that. Uh, so I, it's, it's, and I've known this, like when I first moved here almost a year ago, I remember thinking just, I did look into some volunteer opportunities. I never did anything. Uh, I hope to change that once I moved to the panhandle and, uh, and start maybe once a week. It's good for you, I think. It's good for me. It's good for a lot of us. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I show up uh, excited. I just know it's going to be, I know it's what I need. I know I need to uh, spend some of this grateful energy out in the community. And yeah, I selfishly chose one. I, there were options for like feeding homeless people. And um, I just didn't do that because I don't really have, I, don't, um, I, I wanted something more pleasant, you know? Um, not that I'm an emotional person, but um, I don't know. Not everyone's cut out for, um, you know, Mother Teresa work. 
So I found a good cleanup one. So anyways, I show up, uh, they explain what's going on. It's basically like a, like a nature park with a bunch of, uh, enclosures, habitats for animals. Most, it seemed to me like they were all basically local varieties. And, um, and they, at first they asked for, um, for the heavy lifting volunteers and every guy volunteered except me. And I understand that because in the past I would always, my hand would be one of the first ones up, but, uh, I had a back injury that changed my life <laughs> two years ago, I guess. Shortly after the 2020, like, a, like 20, early 2021, late 2020, the freeze of Texas. When Texas had the snowstorm, it was one of my back. And, uh, and that changed my life. You know, I don't volunteer for the heavy lifters anymore. Um, it took, uh, probably took some humility, but it mostly took a, 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 a intense pain. Anyone who's had back pain knows. I mean, back pain is a whole different level of pain. In my opinion, that is what pain is. Pain is, you know, back. So, um, so all the guys volunteered for that. So then I was off with uh, a group. Um, I volunteered to move the bonsai trees, which was still, which was still some heavy lifting, I guess. Uh, the, I think their heavy lifting thing was a little skewed anyways. So I ended up moving bonsai trees and um, with a small group. And I'm, I, there's a young lady there who I'm thinking, I mean, this could possibly be the future mother of my children. I mean, who knows? A very, attra very attractive woman. And she's there, uh, with her, look, looks like with her best friend, doing you know, volunteer work on an early Sunday morning. Seems like a pretty decent, well-rounded, down-to-earth, grounded gal. But as fate would have it, I ended up doing heavy lifting because I just can't help myself. And um, I saw there was a massive tree that was pretty damn heavy. And uh, I think that's why it was being left there. And I saw a dolly type apparatus. It actually looked like a type, it looked like a tree lifter. Like it looked like it was designed to scoop up all the roots and everything. But it was a dolly. And I was like, I can get that tree with that dolly. And I might have been trying to, I, who knows, instinctually, I might have been trying to impress the future mother of my children, you know, my, my uh, Mrs. Reese. Who knows? But what I did do is I got the attention of one of the people that worked there when I dragged this immense tree out, and it kind of created a street sweeper because I had to drag it. It was too heavy to carry, and, uh, and it sort of cleaned up the path behind me, I think, pretty decently. And I got someone's attention and they said, hey, will you go out there and help take this tree down? So then I ended up in the most heavy lifting job there was. So what are you going to do? But my back's fine. I lifted with my legs and um, my back is good to go. So I highly recommend that. And I want to do some more of it myself. Um, I, I feel good. I feel that's the right thing to do. And okay, so this leads me to the best part of the podcast. I don't know how much there is to say about it. Where are we? We're about halfway through the podcast. I mean, I think it's the good news. 
We're calling, uh, as far as I think, I think we're calling this podcast Ian's Ugly Aftermath and Humanity's Greatest Strength. And um, Humanity's Greatest Strength is like, in times of crisis, we come to, life comes together. It's really not just humanity, it's life. And the reason I say it's life is because even the ducks, like, so a lot of you already know this. A lot of us have already lived through crises. crises. I think anyone who lived through 9-11 will remember stuff like this, where the community comes together. I live in a large, very large apartment complex. There are probably thousands of apartments um, in this big complex. And uh, I only really ever talk to the people that live right above me. I don't really... The people right across from me, I'll nod my head, you know, say what's up at the doorway and stuff like that. But you know how it is. It's not a big city, but it's a big enough area where, you know, you know, it's like, it's interesting. If you live in a small town, everyone says hi. You're weird if you don't say hi to people in a small town. If you live in a big town, you're weird if you say hi to people. I'm, I'm, I mean, you're we- in a small, t- I don't know if I said that right, but you get it. If in a small town, you're weird if you don't say hello to everyone. And in a bigger town, you're weird if you do say hello to everyone, right? Because then you're just constantly like, hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? So uh, you know it. But um, that's what it's like now. It doesn't matter. That's exactly what it's like now. Everyone's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? How you doing? Everyone's checking in with each other. And it's and you can feel the love. You can just feel everyone's love and concern, genuine concern. So I even had the ducks. There's um, a lake here at the apartment complex, and there are these ducks. And uh, they're pretty well fattened up usually, and they're kind of nasty. Like when I walk by the ducks, I'll usually say, what's up? And they'll, not always, but they hiss at me sometimes. I wonder if you've ever been hissed at by a big duck. It's funny. It's kind of a low, quiet hiss, but it's there. Um, But when I was walking around on, uh, must have been Thursday. When I was walking around on Thursday, uh, a whole bunch of ducks come running up to me. Like, looking for, I mean, I'm sure they were hungry. But, and I wish I had food to feed them. (laughs) But I didn't have any food. But they, they still came running up to me like, like they were like they were my my family, you know, like like open winged, open chested, wide eyed, like hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, what's up, buddy? Hey, you know. And I'm guessing that's probably because they were hungry, and because they were hungry, they were willing to just open up to whatever living thing happened to be right there, and open up their hearts and their trust, and be like, you know, normally they wouldn't, normally they'd run away or hiss at me, and now they're like, hey, buddy. Or shoot, maybe they were just happy to be alive like everyone else. And they were just legit coming up being like, hey, what's up? So it's cool. And, you, and I get that vibe everywhere. I've been, uh, you know, cruising around a little bit. I don't know. I don't really know many people here. 
but checking things out and you get that vibe. Places are starting to open up. The great uh, Alfie Oaks, owner of Seed to Table. I mean, I think I've mentioned him on the podcast before. That's kind of how I came out here. Um, was just the whole culture crowd that he's got going at Seed to Table. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, in 2020, when they had the mask mandates, they made national news attention because they they resisted the mask mandates. They simply said, no, we're not going to make our customers come and wear masks unless they want to. It's their choice. <clears throat> and, uh, and I loved that. So I just wanted to see the neighborhood where people were, like, proud of that because I was... I would have been expecting to see so much more, you know? But as you know, 2020 was kind of disappointing like that. And it, Naples was really like the only place, at least from what you could see on the media, alternative and mainstream. <clears throat> so I, um, you know, came out here for vacation, went to seat to table basically every day and uh, moved out here. And I usually visit there once a week, get a steak. Um, but they were open, allegedly, I didn't go, but I heard they were open the night before, Tuesday night, for a all-you-can-drink, all-night hurricane party. <laughs> and, uh, and I bet they were. And, um, I haven't been, I've been on the wagon lately, I've not been drinking lately, but if I was... If I wasn't on the wagon, I'm sure I probably would have went there. <clears throat> and then um, on, was it Wednesday? Couldn't have been Wednesday. No, no, Wednesday was a storm. Thursday, the day after the storm, driving around uh, and just trying to check out Naples. Uh, I didn't get down to the coast. I didn't really see, you know, you really had to go out on the beach to see the real damage or downtown, and uh, I was just driving around, and um, everything's closed. I mean, everything's closed. Nothing's open, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll check out Seated Table. Who knows? So I head out there. It's about a 20-minute drive, and uh, sure enough, their power's out, but they got generators, and the whole place is up and running. And what, and what I mean the whole place, I mean... You know, picture your biggest Whole Foods that you've been to. I think it's comparable. I mean, there's some big Whole Foods I've been to. It's about equal to that. Five bars, two live bands playing at the same time. You know, one band upstairs, one band downstairs. Place is packed. I parked illegally. I parked way illegally. Uh, but it didn't matter. And I was in and out of there. Like, uh, most people were there for the, to order food, hang out at the bar. So the shopping was pretty easy. They had, and then that was, uh, this, the racks were starting to get a little empty, a little empty the day after. And I was, I was like, whoa, right? But I got some food because I lost all my food in the fridge, so I was able to get a little bit of food. And then I went there again on Friday 
to actually uh, stock my fridge up again, hoping I could stock my fridge up again because it's like still only Friday and the pl- and the day before I was like packed. So I'm like, they might not even have what I want. And the place was totally stocked. I mean, shelves were full. Power's back on. Uh, Ron DeSantis seems to be doing a killer job. Uh, if you haven't seen any of the Coast Guard videos that are online showing some of the rescues in Sanibel Island area, I recommend you check them out. I don't normally get emotional, and I was watching these videos, might have been last night, and I started getting choked up. My eyes started getting wet. When that happens, I'll usually sort of reverse gears. <laughs> uh, so I started reversing gears, but then I tried it. I tried going back into it because I was like, no, 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 it's, it's okay to cry. Um, so I recommend those videos because here's the good news, folks. We are going to see a collapse. And when that collapse happens, it's going to be a love bomb for those, um, lucky enough to, you know, still have their, their limbs and their body and their five senses, you know? still be healthy enough to go on, which is going to be plenty of us. I tend to be, a, I'm sure I'm a bit dramatic when it comes to the collapse. And I guess we could probably talk through that because it makes more sense to me now after going through this. So I honestly think, and I don't know, I don't think anyone knows, like fiat money. Like, I've heard plenty of arguments that explain why, you know, most people, most economists, I think, would agree that the fiat money system is destined to collapse. Always was, always will be. There's no way around it. It's the very nature of the system, of a debt-based system, is eventually it, the bubble gets too big and the whole thing breaks. <clears throat> but there are... Arguments out there that argue that that's not, that's not true. There are arguments that argue, and those arguments really, the only way that's true really is, is you need a thriving, you need a thriving economy, you need a thriving population, a thriving society. Everything needs to be sort of on the uptick in a healthy growth. And that's not where we're at right now. So I think it's pretty fair to say that it is going to go down. But I also think the point I was trying to make is I kind of think that this storm will do two. I think it'll do both. It will. It'll help. It's going to be more weight, more money printed, which is going to accelerate the the the, the devaluation of the dollar. But at the same time, it's also going to because of the human love the life-unifying quality that I'm talking about, that's no little thing. I mean, you can feel it. It's, a, it's like a wave I think a lot of people here are riding. There's a lot of ugliness too, but there is a lot of love. So that's not like a little, that's not a non-thing. In fact, I would argue that's one of the more powerful things. It's our greatest strength. So it's got to be pretty big. 
And that alone, I think, is going to um, sort of put off, at least for a little while, the uh, imminent collapse, so to speak. I mean, you know, like I said, what do I know? But it is coming. And so here's what I learned. Like I said, I saw this Hurricane Ian as practice for the global economic collapse. I learned that I need more lighters and candles, or at least I need to figure out that option. Maybe it's batteries and uh, battery-powered flame candles, lights. Uh, Maybe it's some type of LED because I know that you don't need much power for that. Anyways, I need to figure that out. And it wasn't a big deal. Um, I did have one lighter, and I did have one candle. Um, You know, Um, outside of that, I think I was good. I have, you know, my water filter, my gravity water filter. So when the pressure, the water pressure was off, no big deal. I still had my gravity water filter. I have uh, these nice five-gallon like military water jugs. So I had 10 gallons of water. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff I could have used, like I, I went to Fort Lauderdale for a hot meal and a hot shower. I technically could have unpacked my uh, propane grill. You know, I probably could have cooked up, kept busy cooking up meat. And, uh, you know, maybe salvaged it. But I didn't want to, you know, I was already packed and I didn't have to. Right? So. Um, the And the <clears throat> restoration of everything, right? Like, so, so the, like the, the grid went down because of the storm, parts of the grid, a lot of the grid. My area came back up. 36 hours? Something like 36 hours? In 48 hours, the internet was back up? And it's because uh, Florida has a very well-functioning government. That is very noticeable when I moved here. It's, uh, it seems, I would, nothing against Texas, but it seems more, it's definitely more like hands-on than Texas. That's been my experience. The city, you see city workers all over the place and they're always busy even before this. Um, so the, the aftermath has been, the, or the, the cleanup has been impressive. I mean, you can see like fleets of, of vehicles, uh, whether they be fleets of Florida power electrical repair vehicles or fleets of ambulances or whatever. It's getting done very quickly and efficiently. And so what does that tell me is it tells me that 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 would happen in 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 the economic collapse as well. I mean, it 
depending on where you live, uh, I mean, that's, you know, depending, you got, everyone's got their own governments. But Florida, not much is going to change. Even if the dollar collapses, that doesn't change anything. Because if you have a, I mean, it will obviously changes things, but you can work around that. It's happened in history before. So there is a precedent. There's a, there's a protocol. It's not like everyone's going to be stuck scratching their heads. You just start printing up money. And it's a temporary money that everyone in the state now accepts until we get things sorted out. And that will work. The operation is operation get everything back up and running. Now, a lot of states like California, for example, I wouldn't expect California to be, to be doing anything like that. Um, I mean, who knows how much power Gavin Newsom has. He might not have that much power. In, in, in a major crisis situation, you know, I could see a lot of the, maybe the counties, California gets, starts getting split up almost by counties, taking care of business, just doing the right thing, right? I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think California will probably be fine too. Because it's the power of this power of, of love. Is it love? Is it connection? I don't know what it is. But in a moment like now here in Florida, and I imagine Delray Beach as well, and I've heard South Carolina got hit pretty hard. There is a feeling of um, maybe it's gratitude. And maybe that gratitude extends to the community like I was talking about earlier. And maybe that's what it is. But like I said, I, the ducks are feeling it too. And uh, it's pretty powerful. And it's beautiful. And I think that's, I think, I think that's love. <laughs> I think that's what love is. And, um, and so I think... That's the biggest silver lining that I got from this whole experience is because I have been, that's been my main thing I think about is or worry about, honestly, is the collapse of the, of the USL. Now, I think, that's, I think that's, like I've said and I've argued before, I think that's our best option at this point, is the collapse. I think in the collapse is our option to rebuild. So it's not like I don't want the collapse. Um, but there's a part of me that sort of worries about it. Like, oh my God, like, am I going to survive it? Uh, how, how many people, is, are people going to have a hard time surviving? You know, what's it going to be like? And, and I know how the mind works in a sense. So I know that, that like, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. I, I, I'm, I think I can bet money on that at least for myself, I have a very active imagination. And I, I'll, I'll usually think of the most extreme cases on both sides and then try to, to find a medium. And it's, but I tend to always go extreme anyway. So anyways. But I've said it before. I do think when it comes down to it, when it all goes to pot, everyone's going to just come together and fix it. And having gone through this experience here, that has been 100% affirmed to me. In fact, I'm sure that there are thousands, tens of thousands, if not millions, 
let's, I mean, worldwide, this is happening worldwide. So absolutely millions. There are millions, if not tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions <laughs> of people that are lost right now, of, have a feeling of no purpose in life, that are all of a sudden going to find themselves living the richest lives they've ever had, full of purpose, providing who knows what to solve our problems and, and to help um, create a better society. I believe it. I really do. I'm not a uh, doomsdayer. Speaking of that, I will get into this a bit. Um, I don't know enough about this to, to do a report <clears throat> yet. And I, my next report, I'm working on a report on Russia and Putin and World War Three, because I think that's the most important thing. It's I, like it's it's obvious that their powers that be are trying to start World War Three. One hundred percent, that's what they're trying to do. One hundred percent, they're trying to get Putin to 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 start it. They're the whole pick up the gun, pick up the gun. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want no trouble, sir. I don't pick up the gun. Right, the whole Bill Hicks thing. We're doing that with Russia. That's insane, and I really, 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 really would like to see us avoid that. I, at this point, I think that's our, our, I don't see victory if we don't avoid that. Ay, 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 right? Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but anyways, that's my main focus right now. But I did do a report on this on Hurricane Sandy, and it is interesting but the, the subject of our hurricanes, um, I don't I don't I wouldn't say they're man-made, but are we able to manipulate them, control them, and steer them? And uh, I would I would say the evidence looks like why not? Based on Wikipedia. And now I'm not saying Wikipedia is a good source of truth, but it is, a, it's like our mainstream encyclopedia, right? Which means you have to take it with a grain of salt. But even, even with that said, it's interesting what they say. Project Storm Fury was in the 60s, and it wasn't the first one, but this is the, the reading on that. Project Storm Fury was an attempt to weaken tropical cyclones by flying aircraft into them and seeding with silver iodide. The project was run by the U.S. government from 1962 to 1983. The hypothesis was that the silver iodide would cause supercooled water in the storm to freeze, disrupting the inner structure of the hurricane, and this led to seeding several Atlantic hurricanes. However... It was later shown that this hypothesis was incorrect. It was determined that most hurricanes do not contain enough supercooled water for cloud seeding to be effective. Additionally, researchers found that unseeded hurricanes 
often undergo the same structural changes that were expected from seed, blah, 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 blah. So it basically says they spent all this time and all this energy and all this time into it, uh, but nothing came of it. But if you go deeper in here, it's a the project Cirrus happened in 1947. The first attempt to modify a hurricane began on October 13th, 1947 on a hurricane that was headed west to east and out to sea. The projects two B-17 and a B-29 of the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Group were dispatched from McDill Field, Florida to intercept the hurricane. The seeding B-17 flew along the rain bands of the hurricane and dropped nearly 180 pounds of crushed dry ice into the clouds. The crew reported pronounced modification of the cloud deck seeded. It is not known if that was due to the seeding. Next, the hurricane changed direction and made landfall near Savannah, Georgia. The public blamed the seeding, and Irving Lagmuir claimed that the reversal had been caused by... Who's, or who is this? An American chemist, physicist, and engineer who was awarded the Nobel Prize in 1932, a guy named Irving Langmuir. He claimed that the reversal was caused by human intervention, which sounds like what they're saying here, right? They say they, they dropped 180 pounds. They, right away, the crew reported a pronounced modification. And then right after that, the hurricane changed direction and made landfall. So see, that uh, project was canceled and lawsuits were threatened. And then the Wikipedia goes on to say that, but this, there's no proof that it says, okay, at first the seating was officially denied and it took years before the government admitted it. According to the September 12th, 1965 edition of the Fort Lauderdale News, blah, blah, blah. A hurricane went wacky, and 12 years later, it was admitted that the storm had, in fact, been seeded. Okay, so that's in 47. And then they just kept going. Uh, Project Baton, Flagstaff, Arizona, seeded with chemicals. Okay, maybe that one didn't do it. I think uh, I think Storm Fury did the same thing, though. Storm Fury, um, yes, Storm Fury. Was yes, um, in 1965 during Storm Fury they decided that Hurricane Betsy was a good candidate for seeding. <clears throat> so they decided to seed Hurricane Betsy. And then it says the storm immediately swung, in, immediately swung towards land. And on September 1st, the planned flights were canceled. For some reason, the press was not notified that there were no seedings and several newspapers reported that it had begun. So... According to the historical mainstream media, which I don't trust, 
But according to the historical mainstream media, they seeded the clouds right before the hurricane turned inland. And so the people once again blame the government. But according to Wikipedia here, and I guess according to the government, they never seeded. They were about to seed. They were going to seed. And then it turned inward before they actually did it. I don't know. It sounds fishy when you take the whole thing into account. And then when you look at what they're doing, what they're, when you, why, what are they, what does seeding mean? What does that mean, seeding? Well, it's interesting because they claim that they're trying to decrease the storms, minimize them. But I mean, you can tell in the language, you wouldn't call that seeding, right? Seeding is when you're planting something to try to grow something. So you wouldn't call it seeding. Project Storm Fury. You wouldn't call it Project Storm Fury if you were trying to calm down a storm, minimize a storm. You would call it something else. Am I, am I wrong? So I don't trust that. I think that's clearly the military trying to weaponize storms. And then when you look at actually what they're doing, basically what they're doing is they're trying, they're, what are they seeding it with? They're seeding it with various chemicals trying to create chemical reactions up there in the clouds in the atmosphere. And the chemical reactions, reactions are basic, simple, uh, heat and pressure. By adjusting the heat and the pressure, you can manipulate and uh, uh, theoretically, you can um, manipulate and steer these things. Uh, Steve Stars just sent me a link on steering hurricanes the other day. This is from 2020. Steering a virtual hurricane. New model gives scientists more control. Yeah, I just saw this, and I think around the same year they were putting articles about how this could save lives by steering them away from land. When in, all you got to do is look at the, I mean, even Wikipedia tells you that they've always done the opposite <laughs> and they have these sort of hostile names. And HARP does that. HARP, according to their official language, HARP allows a person to... Um, change the heat and pressure in the atmosphere. I believe technically what they claim is the ionosphere. They're able to adjust the heat and pressure. So that's a total weather machine. The only reason it's not obvious to everyone that HARP is a weather machine is because of our brainwashing. Because we're told, no it ain't. Because we're told, you can't control the weather. <laughs> what are you... Or it's more like, you can't control the weather. Rob Dew's uh, excellent new video voice. Got a friend up in uh, Fort Myers. That's what he thinks. He, and he points out the fact that uh, it was the most conservative area, I would say, of the country probably. Currently, if Florida is the most 
freedom-loving conservative state in the nation at this point. Southwest Florida is definitely the most conservative, freedom-loving. Uh, and and I, no offense to other Floridians listening who feel that that's not true. You might feel that where you're from is the most freedom-loving conservative neighborhood. And that's fine. You're probably right because I'm not a Floridian. I mean, I, I do have a Florida driver's license and I do live here. I'm a resident and I do vote here, but I've only been here less than a year. Maybe someday I'll be proud enough to call myself a Floridian. But I am, I'm, I am proud enough to call myself an American. And uh, from my experience, this area is, is very pro-American. And I mean, you, you can see it everywhere you go. You leave your, your house every day, you're going to see it somewhere on a flag or a bumper sticker or somewhere. And it is interesting that the Hurricane Ian um, happened, you know, the timing after Governor DeSantis's stunt with sending the 50 illegal migrants to uh, Martha's Vineyard. So it is, um, that angle is interesting. The other, here's the thing that I'm, the thing is also that uh, there's a lot of people that are convinced that, um, that the weather is being wonky because it's man-made wonky weather, right? They think that's part of the global warming hoax. I am not necessarily in that. I'm open-minded. At the end of the day, I don't know anything. And, and one of the things I realized... Um, here, I'll tell you in a second if I remember <laughs> why I say that now. I think I understand why I... That's one of my favorite things to remind myself, how I know nothing. And I just remembered recently why I think I feel that way, or at least a, uh, a, a scripture a holy scriptural piece of knowledge that I think reflects that. <clears throat> I already forgot what I was saying, so I might as well finish that thought. <laughs> um, Romans 12.2, do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That makes 100% sense to me. So it's not really about knowing anything. Because knowing things is really being conformed. So rather than knowing things, I want to actually, I want to be transformed through the experience of life, through my mind, and, and simply learn my discernment. Like it says here, what is the will of God? what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's all that matters, is knowing that discern, getting that discernment, which comes through experience. And then I, uh, I, this was to a friend of mine in a chat, and I related that to Eastern scripture, like Buddhism. There are the four desires, the four attachments. According to Buddhism... We are stuck in this cycle, this experience. I don't want to say stuck, but we are here from our own choice. We are here through attachments. And there are four varieties. There is sense objects, which is simple pleasure, 
desire, you know, attached to the sen- sensations of things, opinions and views, rites and rituals, and selfhood, which is like egohood and stuff. These are the things that keep us in this experience on earth. And the only way, and we're going to, and, and it'll continue until you, you know, <clears throat> basically transcend these attachments. And, and the big one, I, 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 when I look at it today, I see opinions and views. So I try to stay free of those. And that's basically what got me off on this uh, rant, which I, where I lost my train of thought was basically, uh, um, Oh yeah, I remember what I was going to say. You just want to, uh, the importance of staying open, and um, yeah. So the more I talk about steering hurricanes and all that, uh, the more my curious mind starts saying, "Yeah, well, maybe they did. It looks like they did. Why didn't they?" But here's what I also have to remind myself, and as I as I gain knowledge in my experience, and I might be wrong, like I said, I don't know nothing, but to me, it does seem like 99% of their so-called magical powers of the so-called elite. <clears throat> I'll even say 99.9%, and I'll explain that later, but 99.9% of the so-called magic, whether it be so-called tech, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, is uh, a lie, is deception, voodoo. What is voodoo? Voodoo is lying. Voodoo is actually, specifically, voodoo is is enacting the reality that you want your subject to believe, acting it out repeatedly, and it's it's a mind. It's psyops. Psychological warfare, that's all, that's 99.9% of magic is psyops. All right, I remember exactly where I was going with this. And, um, and they, the so-called elite, their main psyop is to instill fear in you, make you afraid of them. And uh, what they've done, they've done two things the two main things is up close and personal is brutality. Um, <clears throat> this is they they this is why in order to join this club you have to do horrible brutal things because brutality is one of their main powers. Because for a for a decent um, for a decent person, I'll just say that for a good decent you know good or bad a decent human being uh, or any decent creature. <laughs> is going to be repulsed by um, someone who has, you know, that kind of brutality. And so that's used as a power to instill fear. That's a uh, very uh, brutal, gross, up close and personal way. But another way is mind control, psyops. Make everyone think that they can control the weather. And here's where I'm going with that. <clears throat> I don't think that they, I think that, yes, I think that you can control the heat. I can accept that they can 
manipulate the heat and the pressure in our atmosphere in localized areas. I can accept that. I think I've seen enough evidence that suggests that that seems quite plausible. And so, yes, I think you can steer a hurricane off course. Like what I read in Wikipedia, the way it described it, let's just say for the state of the sake of argument that the what's written in Project Storm Fury in Wikipedia is true and accurate. What it said in air was right after they dumped the chemical into the atmosphere, immediately they saw a reaction and immediately it turned and changed course. So if that is true, then I think it's safe to say that it's quite plausible that you can change the course of a hurricane. All right? I have no problem with that. Here's where I have a problem is the global warming hoax. I've noticed uh, some people I think have taken it too far, in my opinion, as far as I've heard some people that seem to think that all the wonky weather is, not, is man-made. <clears throat> and I don't except I don't buy that. I think, now first off, I also don't believe in the heliocentric model. And while I don't know where I am, because I've never seen it for myself, I'd be very surprised to discover that I was walking on the outside of a ball flying through space millions of miles an hour. That would surprise me. I'd be very surprised. But I don't know where I am. But let's just take two examples. If I was, as I'm told, on the outside of a planet that's spinning a thousand miles an hour on its axis, and that it's all spinning, I think a thousand, like a million miles an hour through the solar system, turning every which way. If it is doing that then the idea of unexpected radical changes in the climate and the weather is completely understandable. Not only is it completely understandable, it becomes a huge mystery as to why isn't it more crazy? Why is it so relatively calm? We don't know. If, if we are to argue the, this in the heliocentric model, the answer is there is no explanation. Um, a scientist who supports the heliocentric model will simply tell you, we don't really know. And someday we'll figure that out. But they will say that, they'll, they'll basically say our atmosphere is somehow magical. Well, it's gravity. That's the answer. The, the answer is somehow gravity has a magical quality that just sort of, it's like a force field. Gravity is like a, some type of bubble, time bubble that holds our entire atmosphere in place so as we're spinning through space constantly, a million miles a second or whatever, you know, I mean, we're spinning on our axis a thousand miles an hour. We're spinning through the solar system like a million, whatever. Think about it. It's insane. If that's true, then there's, it's a miracle that we're not constantly being bombarded with chaos. 
And if we're on a geocentric model, say we're in on a flat surface within a sphere, which is the another probably the 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 next most popular model, and it is in fact the model that most scientists will agree is the most accurate mathematically with the stars and everything, but that's a whole other subject. On that model, we're more in a like a terrarium, a Truman show. And show and so in that um, model, it, it seems more like, uh, I mean, Truman Show is a good example, but I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, that's obviously an artistic example. <clears throat> it's a much more impressive mechanism if that's the case. But either way, then it seems plausible that in that model, the weather would be more... Um, a controlled thing. And this, if you look at history, and this is where I'm leaning towards, if you look at history, this is the way it is. Like not just, not only is there a history of foul weather, <laughs> I mean, there's a, that's all history is. And series, series of events, repetitive, recurrent catastrophes, floods, the, the, the great deluge, the great flood, ice ages. This is a subject that I'm very fascinated about is the cyclic cataclysms. These are written in stone in uh, our, literally our oldest written documents. That doesn't mean that they're not lies. The lies could easily go back that long. But I find it hard to believe because in most of these cases, it seems as if they were deliberately written to survive knowing that the cataclysm was going to, going to come and the whole purpose of the information was to survive the cataclysm so that future generations can, can be told. Be, caref be, on the, be ready. You know, there's this thing that happens. And uh, I'm going to leave you with one Sweet little morsel. <laughs> Since I think this was kind of disjointed and I didn't know where I was going, I and I've talked long enough and I've covered everything that's I, I, been going on. I will leave you with this sweet little morsel. I got to pull my notes up. On the subject of cyclic cataclysm, I do think I'm actually going to finally make the video. I know I've been saying it for about a year, making this video. But this was the morsel. I didn't even know I needed a morsel to make this video. But once I got this, I realized, oh, I need to make the video now. So how many of you guys remember 2012, the Mayan calendar? Do you remember how the Mayan calendar is like one of the most accurate calendars I mean, you could even you you could easily argue it is the most accurate calendar ever devised in uh, human history, and it it can be used. It's it's an extremely interesting, intricate calendar. And um, 
everyone figured out that it was going the long count calendar, the Mayan long count calendar, which began in, I'm going to read my notes for the upcoming, these are just my rough notes for the cataclysm video. The Mayan long count calendar began in 3113 BC. And it was marked by days, not years. 1,872,000 days to be exact in the Mayan long count calendar. And this has been miscalculated by practically everyone. Except, um, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but the guy who does archaics.com, A-R-C-H-A-I-X.com. That's the gentleman who figured this out. Very interesting guy. Um, extremely uh, thorough and intense researcher of history. Very, very impressive historian. But, so check it out. This is fascinating. So, all mainstream reports brought the Mayan calendar to an end in 2012 because what they did was they, they divided 1,872,000 days by 365.24 days in the year. Right? And that's how they came up with the amount of you know, years that ended in 2012. But what they failed to, to take into account, and this was news to me, and it's, <clears throat> it's pretty obvious. There's really no argument, I think, other than misdirection. It was purposely misdirected. So in 713 BC, once again, this is the, the first time I heard this was archaics.com, A-R-C-H-A-I-X.com. But I back-checked everything I'm telling you. I did the math. I back-checked all of this. It all, checks out. it all checks out. This is crazy. In 713 BC, Uh, that is when the 365.24 days in the year happened. Prior to that, there were 360 days in the year. Now, first, think about that. I think mo modern, um, the modern explanation is that people were stupid and they, they, they made it 360 days in the year because it fits into the circle. It makes your circle and, your, and all that stuff um, more even or something, right? But that doesn't make sense. And there's a lot of reasons why that doesn't make sense. One of the reasons it doesn't make sense is because those so-called stupid people who came up with that also came up with the most accurate calendars and maps of the stars and all that stuff that we still use today. It was all back then. So these same people that had 360 days in the year, had all that. <clears throat> what happened, and the other argument against it is in that one, in one year, in less than a year, the entire planet changed from 360 to 365.24. It happened in Egypt, in Persia. It happened in ancient Mexico. It happened in ancient America. All over the world, these, these nations weren't, we have no evidence that they were in contact with each other. Maybe they were. Maybe it was a, a thriving international population and they all got together and they were like, oh, we're changing to 365.24 days in the year. 
Well, you know, what else is interesting is, is the Bible. And according to, uh, I think his name is Jasher, who's like a famous uh, Bible historian who, who goes through history books and like tells you like what year this, this was talking about. According to that research, and this research seems pretty solid, the Bible describes that year, the year 713 B.C., in two kings. First, it talks about um, 86,000 people killed by an angel. And then it talks about God moving the sun by 10 degrees. Now, if the sun was moved by 10 degrees, then it would, it would be very plausible to see how you would now need 365.24 days in the year as opposed to 360 days in the year. The Mayan calendar shows this. The Mayan calendar shows the point where it's adapted. And where it's adapted is called the Hab. H-A-A-B. And this added the five days to each year. And in the Mayan language, these five days were known as the unlucky days. In Mexico... They were known as the Nementimity, which meant the useless days. <clears throat> you know, as if they were, you know, as if they're marking or memorializing a, a, a shitty event. <laughs> there were 10 months in the... Um, in the year back then, the Romans added March and April. And this explains why you have September, October, November, December, September 7, October 8, November 9, December 10. So what's the whole point of this? First of all, isn't that all interesting? The whole point of this is when, you, is when you take into account that the Mayan long count calendar began in 3113 BC and that the Mayan long count calendar was marked by 1,872,000 days and you factor in in 713 BC when now there were more days to the year And so this brings the Mayan calendar to an end in 2046. And what's very interesting about this is there's a gentleman, uh, I believe it's the Diebold Institute, Diebold Institute, I've mentioned it before. Let me make sure I'm getting it right. Die bold. Yeah, I'm sorry. Die hold. 
The Diehold Foundation, D-I-E-H-O-L-D. And this guy's been studying cyclic cataclysm since the 60s, since the late 60s. He's got books published on the subject. He focuses on, um, I believe, the Old Testament, but mostly he's focusing on, on the um, Gleischberg cycle, which is a the solar, solar sun cycle of the sunspots, right? And he comes to 2047 as being the next big cataclysm based on the Gleischberg cycle. And those are two totally unrelated sources that got to <clears throat> got to the same year in, in two totally different ways. Anyways, uh, fascinating stuff. And there's actually a third connection to 2046 too. Uh, but I believe that one is just another researcher who also focuses on the glish, the sun. the the uh, The sun has a cycle called the Gleisberg cycle, where it gets heavy sunspot activity and low sunspot activity. And I don't think anyone really understands what that is other than the more sunspot activity is, the less heat there is, right? Because those black, and I think this might just be theoretical. I don't know if this is proven, but the theory is, is those black spots aren't producing the heat at that time. They're like cooled at that point. So you just have to do the math and if this, this amount percentage of the sun's surface is with black spots, then therefore it's cooler than it normally is. So that's the, uh, that's the thought on that. But isn't that interesting, though, that the um, Mayan long count calendar did not end in 2012. It, in fact, ends in 2046. And what's also interesting is if you're into, the, if you're into this kind of stuff, go to archaics.com. You're going to love it. It's a, a really, the, it's all the information is book. He's an extremely well-read researcher. He's ba it's like he's devoured every little piece of historical book there is out there from the fringes inward. And so if you want an accurate uh, bird's eye view from that point of view, I recommend it. But he has found some other interesting things well, uh, let's just, before I go there, let's back up. I mean, just the 713 BC thing alone. Look into that, and it seems clear. I mean, the Bible talks about God moving the sun by 10 degrees. So what, is, what happened? What type, of major, what type of major cataclysm happened then which caused the entire world to change their calendars? like they must have known first of all that that tells you that they they do they did a pretty good job with their calendars they did they knew they did i mean it's not hard to track a day sun up sun down right but still before the year was over they knew something was different every civilization on the planet adjusted their calendar within that same year so it's not like a year went by and they're like hey we're off so that means they were they knew the minutes and seconds in the days or something. Or I would say a different type of measuring. The sun. They must have been measuring the sun. So specifically, I mean, who knows? 
pretty weird, huh? All right, folks. That's it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Excuse me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I hope you're doing well. If you do want to, you know, like I said, I, I made out pretty good. If you want to help, I recommend you go to help the Floridians that really need it. If you want to help me from the minor losses I've had, if you want to buy me a steak or something, feel free to uh, donate at reesreport.com or uh, join my Substack and listen to the podcast every week. That'd be a great way to buy me a steak. All right, folks. I love you guys. See you next week.